This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle. Uh, hoping you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday, as did I. Uh, now back to work, and we've got a lot to cover here on the podcast. In a little bit, we're going to be hearing from somebody I've wanted to talk to on the show for a little while now. I've, ma- I've made no bones uh, about the fact that I'm a big fan of the new NWA Power Show. Uh, I think I've talked about it probably every week for the last few weeks, including in the uh, last podcast with Brian Solomon, who is also a big fan. So I'm excited to have uh, Vice President of the NWA and the Executive Producer behind the NWA Power Show, Dave Lagana, on the show. And uh, we talk a lot about uh, the NWA, where they're going. Uh, they got a big pay-per-view show coming up uh, next Saturday, December 14th, I believe, uh, Into the Fire. Uh, I'm definitely going to check it out. I, I, I said last week, I think it's probably as uh, excited as I've been uh, about a pay-per-view for a while, just in terms of seeing something different. I think they're they're so good at uh, doing that, you know, providing a, a real alternative. And I know there's a lot of promotions out there right now claiming to provide uh, an alternative. And a lot of them do to different degrees, but NWA is really doing something completely different. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, Dave's got a lot to say about how they got there. Uh, we touch on the, the controversy with, with uh, Jim Cornette. I, I don't think you could avoid that. When uh, talking about uh, the NWA, uh, they just announced uh, Stu Bennett, the former Wade Barrett's joining the commentary team. We talk a bit about that. And just generally kind of big picture of their their business model, where they're going, how how big a player they could be in the wrestling landscape. So uh, a lot of fun. I'm going to leave plenty of time for uh, that conversation. Uh, but also in a little bit, I do want to talk on, on some current events. Not a whole lot going on right now. December's typically a little bit of a, a slow period. You're, you're just before the Royal Rumble and the, you know, the march to WrestleMania, the road to WrestleMania, whatever they call it. Uh, so uh, a bit of a lull. We do have the TLC pay-per-view show coming up. Uh, just a week away. They haven't announced a single match, so that kind of speaks to, to maybe this time you're not being uh, the highest priority uh, for, for WWE. And uh, AEW is also kind of in between big shows, so uh, it's going to give me a chance to talk about uh, maybe some, some promotions we don't talk about too much. I actually have uh, some pretty st- strong thoughts on uh, Impact, and what was a relatively small story uh, was something I had pretty strong feelings about, it. that was that... Uh, what do they call it? The Thursday throwback uh, just before uh, Thanksgiving last week, which was their kind of take on a, a parody of studio wrestling. Uh, I, I saw a lot of people out there giving it a lot of praise, enjoyed it quite a bit. I very much felt differently, and uh, I'm going to talk about that in just a bit. Uh, but right now, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It has got to Becky Lynch on the cover, and it is uh, the annual Women's 100 issue. It is the female counterpart to our PWI 500, uh, one of the last projects put together by uh, Dan Murphy, who we certainly miss, both in magazine and, and on this podcast. And he did another bang-up job of rank- ranking the top 100 women in uh, wrestling in the world. So that's definitely a reason to check out this issue, but there's a lot more uh, in here. Let me jump to the uh, table of contents here. Uh, Dan's also got a hot seat interview with the AEW world champion, Chris Jericho. You're going to want to check that out. 
I've got a feature, feature here uh, talking about the war between uh, WWE and AEW, looking at uh, different aspects, uh, addressing a lot of questions, comparing it to some of the past promotional wars that WWE has been involved in, whether it was WCW, Jim Crockett Promotions, even TNA uh, some years back, uh, and kind of compare and contrast uh, maybe why this one will be different than, than some of the others. Uh, also in here uh, is the ballot for the annual achievement awards. And this year, the decade awards uh, were coming up on the end of uh, not just 2019, but the 2010s. Is that what we're calling them? The 2010s. Um, and we're going to look back on the whole decade and uh, choose the, the, the typical awards we give for every year we're going to give for the decade as well we want to hear from you uh we want to get your votes so the way to do that pick up the latest issue cast your ballot and uh tons more here the usual columns features uh in here you don't want to miss this issue you don't want to miss any of our issues and this being the beginning of the holiday season uh whether you want to treat yourself or treat someone you love the wrestling uh, fan in your family uh, uh it's a great idea to go ahead and subscribe to pro wrestling illustrated the way to do that is to go to pwi-online.com you know i always say dash online and i i've been wondering i think maybe i should be saying hyphen online but you know what i'm talking about it's the minus sign right hit that thing uh, dot com and it is your uh, one-stop shop for all things pro wrestling illustrated uh, if you want to just uh, buy one issue either a, a print or a digital copy or if you want to subscribe uh, for the long term you could do either there the digital edition is uh, customized for your electronic device uh, looks fantastic on a smartphone on a tablet uh, what have you and the other cool thing about the digital edition is that it comes out a little bit earlier than the print edition so no need to be waiting by your mailbox or waiting for the magazine to show up on the uh, the newsstand uh, you could download it right away uh, weeks usually earlier than it comes out right onto your computer your phone what have you it's a fantastic way um, to to read the magazine and there's also some interactive features that you won't see in the print edition but we certainly get if uh, you want the the print edition if you want uh, that that feeling of a magazine in your hand. I know there's not a whole lot of wrestling magazines out there anymore. I think we're the last man standing now going into our 41st year and uh, still going strong, but we need your support. And uh, this is a good time to go ahead and subscribe. Uh, again, makes a great stocking stuffer, Christmas gift under the uh, the tree, what have you. Uh, go to pwi-online.com and subscribe another great gift idea for the wrestling fan in your life the pro wrestling illustrated t-shirt uh back uh, you could get that iconic red shirt with the white lettering there's a lot of other options uh too in terms of colors uh the place to go is prowrestlingtees.com and uh, pick up a shirt there uh, also we'd love to hear from you your feedback for the magazine the podcast what have you you can reach us here at the podcast at pwi podcast at outlook.com or send an email uh, to pwi at kappapublishing.com. Any thoughts, questions about the magazine or uh, anything else. And you can also uh, interact with us on social media at Official PWI on uh, Facebook and Instagram. We're also, uh, I'm sorry, on, on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook. You can go ahead and find us uh, there. And uh, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a uh, positive feedback. We've been doing it now. Uh, I always forget. I think we're going on five years, something like that. I think we began to be at the end of 2014. So yeah, I think this is right around our fifth birthday. This might be the fifth anniversary show uh, for all I know. Uh, but certainly appreciate your support. It, it's fantastic what's become of this podcast. And, you know, we just had Steve Austin on a, a few weeks ago. And, and I look back, you know, whenever I watch a wrestling show, uh, even 
uh, a a one loaded up with stars, I think, oh, we had that guy on the podcast. We had that guy on the podcast. Uh, so so really, if you go back over the archives, it is uh, a who's who. I think uh, as as impressive a list of guests and a collection of interviews um, as you will find anywhere. Uh, so and I'm certainly honored and privileged to have been a part of, of a lot of those and, and having a lot more fun and about to add another one to the list uh, with Dave Lagana in just a moment. Uh, before that, as I, as I uh, talked about, I uh, wanted to touch on a couple of uh, current events things. Um, do want to talk about impact in just a bit. But but one other thing that's kind of been lost in the news, which is crazy if you think about it, is the return of, of CM Punk. And I think the the biggest part of the story it's is that it wasn't all that big a story and and when you think about the the terms under which he left uh what is it now uh, about five years ago uh right i think it was the beginning of 2014 um so going on six years uh and and you know all all the vitriol the lawsuits all it, it was just so ugly it was the latest oh here's one guy who will never come back to wrestling Years and years of, of chanting his name, and uh, he comes back sort of, right? I mean, he is uh, a part of a, a WWE a television show, WWE Backstage. He makes the point he doesn't work with WWE, for WWE. He works for Fox. It is a fox produce show. But clearly, it is, it is within the WWE universe. He's sharing a stage with a bunch of WWE employees talking about uh, WWE uh, issues, whether he he uh, likes it or not, or would say it or not, he's part of a WWE propaganda machine. Now he says he's there to kind of counter that and and bring some honesty and some political incorrectness. Um, again, we haven't seen that much of him so far, so it remains to be seen. But I haven't really seen anything to indicate that that's going to happen, and um, I I kind of don't believe it will. You know, will he be a, a little more edgy than than some of the others? Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Do I think he's going to be on there um, bashing WWE creative, putting over AEW or, or anything like that? No, uh, n- nor do I think. Uh, and, and it escapes me right now whether the show is actually live or not. Maybe it is. The first hearing of it is. But I just can't imagine that that anything too edgy is going to get on on. Uh, a television. So it's all to say this has all kind of been uh, kind of a dud, you know, uh, uh, it, it, and it's sort of crazy to think that this is the way that CM Punk would uh, return to, to wrestling. It's like over the, the last several years, there have been all these opportunities and ideas and, and, and uh, opportunities for him to come back in a really a big way and for him to make his return on a uh, very kind of low-rated, barely-watched um, highlight show uh, w- without a, much to it is a strange. From from his perspective, uh, certainly if, if Fox is paying him uh, p- paying him enough, it, it makes sense to me that you could kind of dip your toe in the water, return to um, something that he's certainly knowledgeable about and identified with without taking uh, any bumps or anything like that. And, and beyond that, it does feel like it is... Um, and maybe this is the bigger part of the story. It, it is the beginning of something more. Uh, he was asked uh, about it in, in uh, one of his first interviews on that show with Renee Young, and he certainly did not close the door to returning um, to wrestling, which in wrestling is as good as a, a done deal that, that he will be back. Now, I think it's just a matter of kind of figuring out the, the right circumstances, the right storyline. You got to think WrestleMania in, in a few months uh, would present that that opportunity but on, on one hand, I think, well, 
that opportunity would never have come if it wasn't for this Fox deal, because I don't think he was going to sit down with with Triple H or Vince McMahon uh, anytime soon. So this kind of tested the waters uh, for for his return. Uh, On the other hand, because of uh, kind of this the, the 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 underwhelming sort of vibe to his return, I, I I can't help but think that that if and when he does return the ring, it's not going to mean nearly as much as uh, it, we we all would have thought it it would have you know even a, a few months ago. So uh, kind of bizarre again, big picture. If it if it it is the beginning of the return of one of the more popular influential uh, wrestlers. Um, of the last decade, then terrific. WWE could certainly uh, use the the injection of uh, star power, uh, but man, it really kind of what is it that uh, Jr. says a lot in, in podcasts? It, it went over like a fart in church, uh, and, and that's what it, it kind of feels like. It's like a, uh, again to me, the story is that it wasn't all that big a story. Uh, the, the other thing that wasn't much of a story, but uh, certainly got on my radar, and, and I've been wanting to talk about. This is when it's fun to have a podcast when you just want to vent about something. Uh, again, is Impact's Throwback Thursday episode from a couple of weeks ago. I think it aired a couple of nights before Thanksgiving. Kind of an off week for them. You know, a lot of people not in front of their TV sets. All all the TV ratings were kind of wacky that week. Uh, so I, I certainly understand Impact taking a break from advancing uh, their, their storylines to do something uh, a little unorthodox. Uh, and I saw a, a lot of positive reviews, including from uh, Bill Apter, who certainly identified with Pro Wrestling Illustrated. He was raving about it uh, on Facebook, and, and that was one of the things that got me curious to check it out. And I did. And I just got to say, I hated it. I mean, I, I, I thought it was... Um, I thought it was terrible, and I understand that I might be in, in the minority there, and and so I, I'm not going to profess to be right. Uh, you know, different strokes for different folks, but for a lot of reasons, I just part of it is that. Well, it's a couple things. First of all, it's not an original concept anymore. It it and and uh, uh, Impact previously TNA already have such a reputation for kind of copying things that that they've seen work. Um, in WWE, and what this felt like was a ripoff of, of the Southpaw regional wrestling concept that WWE uh, launched a few years ago. When they did it, it was uh, very novel, uh, a lot of fun. I think it was better executed. Um, and the the difference here, obviously, was that the, there was actual wrestling. Uh, the, the, the WWE uh, project, which you could see up on the WWE Network, I think it's still archived uh, there, uh, which is a series of, of promos and building up to shows, but you never, you never even saw a ring. It was just kind of a, a lot of packages, but but really, I thought really funny, really well done, uh, and I thought this is where I think people will disagree with me. Some I think WWE uh, South Park Regional Wrestling was uh, more kind of a, a love letter to the old regional wrestling, uh, uh, the territories that that kind of bygone uh, era and impacts felt a little more I don't mean spirited is the word but they were making fun of it you know and and I guess WWE was too but there was something about the tone of what impact uh, did that rubbed me the wrong way I thought it was uh, a bunch of wrestlers making fun of something Um, it it and I guess the other reason that that didn't sit well with me because watching impact WWE 
uh, having become the, the 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 pinnacle of pro wrestling, you know those old regional territories and uh, the shows that they were kind of having um, fun with evolved as did the whole wrestling uh, industry in, in the United States, certainly, into what we have now, which is largely WWE. But, I mean, WWE is the big monolith company. That, that is Major League Wrestling in uh, – not Major League but Big League Wrestling in, in uh, the United States. So I think them having um, really de- now defined what wrestling is in the United St- States, they have a platform to kind of look back and um, – do parodies and things and things like that uh, with with impact. I guess what doesn't sit well with me is that I, I watch that and I can't I can't help but think. But who are you to be um, poking fun at this stuff? The reality is that the the stuff that that they're kind of um, looking their nose down upon uh, in the and and again they would I, I'm sure they would disagree and I'm sure a lot of fans would would disagree. Uh, but I I couldn't help but think that there was a little bit of tone of that, tone of, of that looking their nose down upon it. Um, but but that stuff was a lot more successful than than Impact Wrestling is right now. So uh, you know, I thought it, it'd be sort of like if your local uh, wedding band was making fun of your local garage band. You know, it's like, well, who are you to uh, to kind of put yourself on on that pedestal and, and look down on on this? Uh, it, it's all and 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 I. I one of the things that I just thought was sort of ironic in the whole presentation was that the idea was to kind of um, uh, uh, mock or, or make fun of how small the the crowds were, uh, at least I think, in, in, in the old studio wrestling days um, and how kind of uh, low budget a lot of the production values were. And watching it, uh, when I first checked it out, I, I wasn't even aware that it was you know, just kind of having it on the background that that it was anything different to me. It looked like another episode of of Impact and about the size crowds they usually get and about the the same uh, uh, production that they usually get. And uh, uh, maybe that was intentional, but again, there may be some unintended irony there that the the thing that they are kind of making fun of is what Impact is these days. It, it's small crowds, um, uh, low budget, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but I just thought the humor didn't work. I, you know, and, and another part of it that it's hard to to execute. It's one thing to have wrestlers making, uh, uh, doing parodies on promos and that kind of thing. But but when you actually carry that into the ring and they they do matches and wrestlers are out of character and 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 uh, maybe some wrestlers are are uh, putting over other wrestlers that they wouldn't have in a typical impact storyline and not that there's much left of kayfabe but i i don't know that uh, I, I thought it kind of it, it broke down that fourth wall uh, too much i didn't like sammy callahan who is your um you know vicious sinister world champion playing you know essentially jim Cornette. you know would would Sammy Callahan do that. Uh, it, it was just such a break from what they present every week. I think WWE's got a little more leeway that they could do that because they're WWE. I think Impact, uh, they're just not in position to... It, it, it's, I think you've got to be a lot higher in the pecking order to be able to get away with something like that. And uh, I just I didn't like it at all. And the other thing, there's all kinds of things that I had a problem with uh, with this the the whole idea of them sort of making fun of of studio wrestling haha <laughs> can you imagine if you know studio wrestling you know in, in 2019 uh who could think that that would work well look at nwa power they're doing it they're doing it and nwa power week in 
week out, I've got to say, um, the, the even on on uh, I think probably a pretty modest budget and modest production values looks better on TV every week than Impact does. It looks like a more big league product uh, for sure. The the lighting, the cameras, the uh, all of it, uh, the the. I think Impact's uh, uh, post-production, their packages are are better. They're actually really good. Um, that That's one thing that, that always kind of sits, um, I don't know, it, 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 it's a big conflict, a contradiction in um, Impact's uh, a product is that you see those cold opens they do and the video packages and they're really well produced and really sleek. And then you actually get to the, the action in the ring and it looks like, you know, your local indie shot uh, by uh, a ring boy at, at ringside holding a, you know, a camera, a camcorder, something like that. I just, and I'm exaggerating somewhat, but um, I don't know. I just think, imp- and, and and it comes at a time where I think Impact's doing a lot of things uh, really well. So, I mean, to put this to bed, this week they were back to kind of regular programming and building to uh, Hard to Kill with um, probably as anticipated a match as they've had in a long time with Tessa Blanchard challenging for the heavyweight championship against um, Sammy Callahan. And they aired... Uh, this press conference that they did, I think, here in New York uh, a few months ago. They invited me to be part of that, and I, I couldn't be there. And I don't know if any press was there. They just showed um, Josh and, and the wrestlers on stage and and uh, didn't show uh, what would have been the press area uh, at all. But but all that said, I thought that was great. I thought it was so well executed. I thought uh, both Sammy and Tessa uh, did their job so well. And um, I really like Sammy's approach to this angle and the thought that um, it's everybody else that is making a big deal of this, that, that are sort of pandering to, to Tessa and her being the first woman to challenge for heavyweight title. And in his mind, she's just another, you know, when he say another uh, skull he's going to crack or something like that. And I loved it. I thought that was really, really well. And I like that uh, uh, Sammy is not, he, he's not overlooking her, but he's also not making too much of her. She's just the, the, the latest victim. And she's done a terrific job. And I, again, I'm not sure how much on board I am with with this whole thing of uh, a woman challenging for the heavyweight title and and you know getting there, beating you know they had her uh, uh, cleanly beat Brian Cage a few weeks ago to earn this title shot, uh, and I, I certainly understand if that didn't sit well with a lot of people. Uh, I'm I got mixed feelings about it, but whatever they are, I think for what they're doing, they're doing it really well. And I certainly understand why they're doing. You know, it, it's just tough in, in this climate uh, to to stand out as a wrestling promotion and to be able to offer something different than, than everybody else is. And I think this is the one thing that, that Impact has, you know. Uh, and, and it is, you know, I talked about the uh, that Throwback Thursday thing uh, was an attempt to, to be novel and different, and it really wasn't. This is. This is really something that, that uh, I, I'm not saying the intergender stuff hasn't been uh, done before and, and even on, on um, a big scale, uh, but this does feel different. It does feel special wherever um, you you are on it, how you feel with it. Uh, you you, you got to understand why they're doing it, and if you accept that they are doing it, you got to give them credit, I think, for doing it pretty well so far. And and I'm um, intrigued to see the, the, the next few weeks play out uh, before Hard to Kill uh, coming in January. Before that, 
Uh, NWA will be on pay-per-view on December 14th, uh, a show that I'm also really looking forward to, Into the Fire. It's headlined by uh, the NWA champion Nick Aldis defending against uh, James Storm, a lot of other fun uh, matches on the card. That's uh, December 14th. You can get that on Fight TV. And to talk about that more, here is NWA vice president and executive producer of NWA Power, Dave Lagana. All right, right now, joined by the vice president of NWA and the executive producer of NWA Power uh, on YouTube, Dave Lagana. How are you, Dave? Hello there. Uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to, to the podcast, but we're big fans over here. Uh, I've talked about the show uh, quite a bit. And uh, I was talking to uh, Ryan Solomon, who's another writer with us, and, and we were mm-hmm. both agreeing that even with all the wrestling that's on TV, it's about um, our favorite show right now, what we look forward to the most. So uh, kudos to you. And, and the one thing that, that really seems counterintuitive is that uh, with the show coming out amid, like, all this wrestling, right? So you guys kind of broke on uh, to YouTube at the same time as uh, Dynamite debuting at TNT and NXT moving to USA and even Impact moving to Access and, and all of that. Did you see that as an, an opportunity or um, a gamble, a big risk? Uh, to 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 kind of uh, break into such a crowded space. Well, in 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 reality, we didn't sort of break in with power. We've been uh, Billy and I uh, been executing on YouTube for two years prior to uh, putting power up. So we did a lot of groundwork that some people really enjoyed. You know, the stuff we did with Nick Aldis and Tim to launch the brand two years earlier, and then. Um, and then obviously the stuff with Cody, you know, going to China. We, we've done a lot of groundwork in, in winning back what I'd call sort of a very uh, basic base. And so, you know, we, we had a very loyal audience that supported us. And, you know, we did our first pay-per-view a year earlier called NWA 70. You know, we had the rematch of Cody and Nick from All In. It did very well. But since, since we announced power and started doing it, our business has increased tenfold. So basically it's, wow. it's so crazy. Like your comment is exactly the same we've seen. Wow. I just discovered it. And so what we really like about it is people were able to go back and, and, and I think that's why the first episode works so well, because a lot of people didn't know who Tim storm was. And, you know, we try to encapsulate what we had done in the first six, eight weeks with him and really bring it forward. We knew from, to say test marketing, but people were really into Tim. So the ability to, to come into the market with what we thought was a fresh, even though some have called it a retro take, and you know there are parts of it that are retro. The look is retro, but it still is very fresh and modern. Where trust me, I watched a lot of studio wrestling as we were putting the show together, and no studio show ever looked that good. You know, it, like as far as how it was presented, and then ultimately too the pacing of the show and. and I dare anyone to go watch in two hours of what any of those old studio shows. It was probably about 20 to 30% really good. And then like 15 to 20% of okay. And then fit to deep, fit the other 50% or stuff unwatchable. You know, our hope was to create a show that moved at a very modern Instagram pace. And, you know, I think we've hit it a couple of times and obviously the last few weeks we've had to make some small edits, you know, contrary to what people believe. Um, but you know, like we've had to, we had to kind of make some alterations, but in reality, we want the show to move at the pace that you watch. And one of the nicest compliments we got was from a couple of different reporters who said, when I watch your show, I don't pick up my phone once. I'm never <laughs> bored. I never want to go look and see what else, what everybody else is saying. And, 
you know, as far as an execution piece, you know, prior to AW Dark coming on, there's not really the, you know, and, and I believe we announced first, but it doesn't matter because actually what we found is these two shows work incredibly well together where people, YouTube is a, a platform that I've spent the last three years kind of learning all the way back to the 30 days project I did with Billy. And as, as streaming as the, as, as exciting the Wednesday night, Wednesday night wars, the streaming wars are obviously uh, a million times larger in the over lexicon and watching all of sort of this content get I load behind paywalls. YouTube's out there kind of waving their hands going, we're still free over here, you know, and I think a lot of people are very, uh, a lot of kids go to YouTube because it doesn't require their parents to have a subscription, they can search. So for us, all of it worked. And, you know, it's funny, there were articles about, you know, no television networks were interested in this show. We didn't pitch any networks on this show. Mm -hmm. Like we wanted, we wanted, Billy was willing to put his money where his mouth is. He's sole financier. He's the sole person that has to be happy. He's our victim. And as long as he's getting what he wants, then the show will move forward. Yeah. It, I, I remember hearing, um, I guess, when Power first launched, how uh, it, it wasn't, wasn't sustainable. At some point, you'd need to, to uh, get on TV. It was sort of a proof of concept. But then I heard you some, say somewhere a few weeks in that um, it was doing really well, and maybe this was uh, a, a sustainable format. So – um, is that to say that this is the future of NWA power or would you still entertain um, uh, ideas, proposals to be on TV or maybe some kind of over-the-top streaming network, something like that? I think, you know, it's it's really interesting. And I, I will say this not only about pro wrestling, but also just in general in any job or endeavor. As soon as you take someone's money in exchange for a creative endeavor, then your creativity works towards that money. So, for example, if, if – if um, NBC decides they want the show, they're going to put $10 million up to produce 52 episodes, random numbers top of my head. They're going to want a return on that investment, and they're going to want to have some thoughts because, again, they're putting the money up because money motivates everything. So for us, any partner has to be um, tied to our growth, and we have to understand. If, if, I, if I told you everything we've turned down in the last three years, including – at one point, twenty million dollars in financing, but it would require it would require giving up half the company. Like those type of deals, to me and Billy, are not what we're looking to do. Because after everything we've been through, and I've done this nineteen years, and Billy's done wrestling on and off for fourteen years, and you know he's got thirty years of brand experience with the Pumpkins. This is as much about the way brands are being built in this new generation. And for as little as we paid for the NWA, a mark that nobody wanted. WWE had had the ability to get it and pass. And if I told you how little was, you know, it's, it's the down payment of a house for some people. <laughs> and and so, you know, the, 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 the dead spin story. Billy Corgan buys wrestling's deadest and oldest brand to do whatever he pleases. And he has. And so for us, anyone we partner with, has, has to really fit our model. So to back to Billy had said pr at the press conference, this model is not sustainable. That was also prior to us even announcing the name of the show and ultimately the audience's reaction. So obviously we did a very huge number the first week because it was so new. And I've seen people say, oh, you've, you've, you've lost all those viewers. That's the way that all content on YouTube goes. You get something new, people check it out, and then it, it becomes part of the world. And we've settled at a good base. And I'm very happy sort of with, 
where we are, because again, we thought we were going to do 70,000 to 100,000 views an episode. That was literally the target. So when we say it wasn't sustainable, you know, knowing the CPMs and what we were able to charge now for ads. And so, so, so the way that this show was sustainable, is simply a profit and loss statement. I know what GPB costs per episode. I know talent costs are per episode. Uh, I know what we're pulling from YouTube ad money, which is, which was never intended to be the sole source because YouTube ad money, as everybody knows, combat, all combat, combat sports, wrestling, MMA are, are, uh, monetized differently than a girl doing her makeup. So, uh, so for us, you know, we had a really good, we built a really good base. We went from 80,000 subscribers, which it took us two years to get from zero 80 because the NWA had no social presence when we were, when we took it over, we took YouTube from zero to 80 to 82,000 up until the day we announced the show. And I think today we crossed 160,000 two months after wow. the nine episodes. So we've doubled our audience. And what's interesting. So we have 160,000 subscribers. But the average view on every episode is about 200 to 250,000 an episode. But what's really interesting, if you look at some of the larger YouTube channels, usually the, like, so I'll use Peter McKinnon because he's somebody that I watch on, on a very consistent basis. He's a photographer out of Canada. He has, I think, 4.3 million subscribers, and his average views per video is about 300,000 to 500,000. So we're built, we've built somehow, and I, I wish I could say, yes, we had this strategy and this is how it came off. We looked at a consistent time slot and it could like, that's why the 605 thing, you know, was an experiment at, at the time. Will the show remain at 605 forever? Don't, don't know. We're actually exploring looking at other times. So we picked 605 because of the classicness of it, but also what it allowed was those in the UK, I think it's like 11 or 12 o'clock depending on daylight savings. So, you know, the United Kingdom is our number two audience by a mile. So, you know, where we have US, UK, I think Germany and Australia and then Canada. And so the decisions on the airtime was to service those markets live, but also on demand. So YouTube has got a really interesting model of how stuff works. And so for us to, to lean into the premiere for that has really helped us grow very quickly. And obviously, you know, we live in a culture where a lot of time is asked of people. So we wanted a, a really tight 44 minute show, you know, can be whatever the length we want. And so for us, to make it sustainable, the, the pay-per-view is what makes this sustainable. If we do X number of buys, our pre-sale, I think I tweeted it yesterday, our pre-sale for NWA 70 was X, and that was 24 hours before the show. We're at three times X right now with 10 days to go on 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 um, on Into the Fire. And we had Cody and Nick ready? off of are you already where you need to be with the pay-per-view? No, no, not at all. Because you get 20% of your pay-per-view buys in advance. And this is what the, the this is the the um, flow economics that a fight told us that usually get twenty percent of your buys um, in advance. So you know where we need to go. No, we still have some work to do, and it's why we're doing interviews and awareness. And you know, and and, and we we knew the unsustainability of it, but we're again, as I say, we're a lot closer. You know, we we did the we did a five times increase in merch from when the show debuted. So again, if we were did X in February when we were selling merch, we're doing five times X every day now on merch off of the show. So for us, you know, it's it's really growing a lot a lot of buckets. You know, obviously high spots, you know, bought a, a large selection of ads to run during Christmas. You know, we have other advertisers coming in and out. You know, we have promoters that are booking talent and, and part of the agreement is to get them their show promoted in power, depending on the level they want. You know, we had a really good time at WrestleCade and for us 
It's about raising the awareness in the brand. And like Nick Aldis, who, when I walked out with him at Ring of Honor, uh, WrestleMania in New Orleans, every person, Magnus, 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 because we had only been eight months in, that's all gone. It's now Nick Aldis, which shows if you commit to an idea and a brand, it will really kind of pay off in the long term. And, you know, we're really happy in, you know, closing season one. And it's crazy to watch people go, oh, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. And, oh, you killed it. We shot for two days at the beginning of October. And with, with nobody giving it a chance, like it was like, eh, whatever, it looks old. And, you know, to, to go on this roller coaster ride, and I don't think I've ever experienced anything like the last nine weeks of my career. Yeah, yeah. It, talking about Aldous for a second, what did you see in him? Because he was Magnus, right? And mm-hmm. yeah. uh, was, was a good hand and, you know, young guy, good look. Uh, but I don't think that any fan could have seen what, what he is now. Um, did he evolve into that? Or even w- way back when, when he was, you know, chosen as you're going to be our guy, did you guys see the makings of what he became now? Um, so so I've known Nick. You know, I, I watched Impact when I was working at Ring of Honor. And, you know, Nick, you look at, like, I always tell Nick, I said, you came into wrestling about four years too late for the WWE world. Because, you know, in, in 2003 to 2007, they hired Mark Jindrak, Lance Cade. Like, there was a certain type that Johnny Ace mm-hmm. wanted to hire for, for developmental. You know, Nick, what what – we saw in Nick, and what I kind of learned about Nick is the narrative on him that he was fucked off some reality show with no wrestling experience wasn't true. Um, you know, uh, sorry, second. Um, so, so, so he, you know, he had trained, he had, he had broken into the business with Stu Bennett, uh, Wade Barrett, Marty Skrull, and a bunch of the Drew Galloway, a bunch of that sort of mid two thousands UK group. He was a little, uh, um, basically, um, you know, he had had a lot more experience than people thought. So as I got time to know him, and Nick's very uh, opinionated, and he's not shy about it. You know, so when he became the TNA champion, it was in the middle of a very chaotic time at TNA, and actually a a time I had considered actually quitting the company, not because of Nick, but because of the um, never-ending drama that existed at TNA and the lack of leadership and, you know, changing of of decisions and, and not being clear about goals. And, and Nick was kind of in the middle of that in his world title run. And, you know, but I saw that there's an episode of Impact. I think it's the week after he wins the title where we do a sit-down interview with him. That is very early 10 pounds of gold. You know, he, he, had, um, he had won the title, and the next day we sat down, and I talked to him for 45 minutes for eight minutes of content. You know, and we didn't script it. I gave him some sort of bullet points, and we really found in that moment there's something there. But obviously, mm-hmm. as regimes change, you know, Nick ended up deciding to leave, and that's his, his story to tell him why. But, you know, he has the aptitude, and at the time, that he, I think he was 28, and so I think he's 33 now. You know, to get somebody at that age with, with that look, with his tools, you know, and, and he took the challenge. And, and I've said multiple times, you know, originally when Billy and I were in negotiations to buy the brand and the 10 pounds idea was there, the, the Galloway documentary that I did – um back at WrestleMania in Orlando, you know, that was the pilot for 10 pounds. You know, this idea of documenting a pro wrestler's life in a way that most companies don't. Because if you remember back at that time, WWE would produce documentaries and then not put them out for almost a year. You know, they would do their Chronicle and you know, they'd do the WrestleMania documentary from last year around this year. Our, our goal was to use the YouTube format 
like we did with Billy Corgan's 30 Days. Okay, we shot it today. It comes out tomorrow. And, you know, obviously Gall- the Galloway doc ended up getting shelves for a little bit because he went to WWE. And I was unsure what to do with it because it didn't fit sort of the NWA plans. Um, and so, you know, when we started to explore, well, who would the guy be? You know, Eli Drake had a gap period in his contract in, I think, May of uh, 2016 or 2017. I can't remember the year. And so, you know, we had talked to him about this idea. And at the time, we still hadn't fully locked down the NWA because there was some nags in, in, in the purchase. But, you know, we offered Eli because Nick had just finished with Impact and had told people he was sort of done with the business. And so, you know, I'd, I'd reached out to him. He goes, well, let's talk and all that stuff. And so ultimately when Nick committed, it was just simply to do the one match with Tim. And, you know, he, was, he, he understood what we were looking to do. You know, we were going to, we, we made a deal on what it would be, but as we dove into it and we developed 10 pounds, he really got into it and helped put the brand on his back along with Billy and I to really carry it forward. So, you know, the work he's done, not only on power, you know, it's crazy to see people's reaction to that first interview on power. He did a year and a half of great interviews on 10 pounds that one tenth the audience saw. So now if you're a fan of the show, there's all this free content, you know, you can buy the DVD if you want, if you want to watch it that way, but it's also for free on YouTube. You can go back and watch his ascension with his story with Tim Storm, Crimson, Colt Cabana, then Cody, then Marty Skrull. You know, he's had really a, a strong two years as world champion. And I think that's why you can see the respect that he's getting is people now see, and in a time where titles mean the least, I mean the least. I, if I asked you who are the Raw Tag Team Champions, you couldn't tell me right now. Pop your head. Uh, yep, see? I mean, like... <laughs> That's the point. Like, who's who's the Intercontinental Champion? And I remember we used to Akimura. when I was on. Who is it? Akimura. Okay. Yeah, I only know so, because he's got that new belt. Exactly. So, but and and that's probably why you remember. If if they didn't do a new belt, it'd probably be hard. There are so many titles, and fans walk around with titles, and then fans create titles like the Bojangles guy, who I love. He makes <laughs> me laugh. Which I lead over to him. I said, "Boy, there's there's something you do well. Subtle." You know, but like with, with all these titles in the world, we have committed to the 10 pounds one, then slowly introduced other ones. But the gold standard of our world is, is that 10 pounds of gold. And Nick has really helped reinvest in a title that Shane Douglas threw down and crap on in the ring, that uh, promoters used to carny each other. We had a situation where a promoter offered Tim Storm pretty significant five figures to screw us over in the first week we had company. Uh, and, and Tim, and it's one of the reasons why we're so committed to Tim, because he's a professional and he loves the NWA. So for us, you know, guys like Aldis and Tim Storm that are committed to the vision and understand that this, if we get this right, and by the way, we will make mistakes. And you, you show me somebody who's never made a mistake and I'll show you a liar. And, yeah. you know, in this process, we've, we've learned, we've tried to course correct and try to do the best we can. And, you know, those, uh, Building a business is very hard. And, you know, this is the first time that Billy and I have had full control over a wrestling brand without having to kind of tap dance for a Southern Bell or, um, you know, or deal with a corporation. You know, it's, it's really gotten to a point where we feel like if we do this right and our talents are all part of this process and everybody knows the goal, they all know we have to hit this pay-per-view number because it only is it's only good for them if we grow. And it's literally adding one fan at a time. It's why at times when people, wow, I just discovered power, I'll send a message, thank you. Because we're, we're so in a different realm than everybody else that it, it, requires, um, it requires a really grassroots appeal. And, and that's what this growth has been. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and it seems like right out of the gate, you've just got a formula that really works. So uh, even though I'm sure the, the, the plan and the goal is to grow your company and uh, uh, change some things up, improve some things, are, are you um, kind of leery about not changing too much? I mean, I feel like you've, you've, you've got to find this balance where you want to infuse uh, more money into it, I'm sure, but also you don't want to kind of um, uh, change the purity of it, right? That it, it, you have something that feels kind of fragile and fans really love. And, if, uh, you know, for, for example, if you took it out and you started running it in arenas or, or you know, uh, having entrance music, all that stuff, it would change it, right? Yeah. Well, it's, um, you know, we made a, made a conscious decision with um, what um, what we were attempting to do. Because literally from the first moment, Every time we make any kind of announcement, the people come out of the woodwork, including referees. And I, I want to applaud all referees because they are more aggressive than I'd say 60 to 70% talents as far as trying to get booked. And literally every time we announce a show, 70 referees come out of the woodwork, <laughs> including, one, inclu- including, in, in, including one guy who said, I fly out of Thunder Bay. And I had to Google where the hell Thunder Bay was, <laughs> Canada. And I was like, well, I'm very happy that you fly to Thunder Bay. We're in Atlanta, and I, you know, I don't know you, and you know, it would. Be, I, I looked at the ticket. I was like, the ticket's sixteen hundred dollars. I don't. I I know a talent, you know, that I would fly from Thunder Bay every every time. But anyway, but no, I mean, like, people always like, when are you do TV? When are you do TV? And you know, we had talked about it. I had explored a venue in Nashville to shoot TV. God, I think right after the Tim Storm match, and I priced it out, and it was actually more than what we're paying for GPB, which has been 10 times better, um, we wouldn't have gotten the same look because it was sort of a very bare space. GPB, literally, they could shoot the Jerry Springer show there if they wanted to. Um, that's what that kind of space is for. So, you know, every time we announce anything, it's like, when do you do TV? When do you do TV? So here we, we decided to do TV and obviously looked at, okay, we're not going to run the Staples Center. We're not going to be able to draw 7,000 fans. You know, for, for the first round of taping, I think we ended up having across the two days, 320 people paid. So it was about 170 every night in that room. The room holds 250. This time after the show aired, we, we sold out the room all three nights. The pay-per-view sold out in three hours. Uh, the next day, the first day of TV sold out in two days. And then it took about three weeks to sell out the third day because it's a Monday. And, you know, but we sold 750 tickets. I think 250. Yeah, basically 700 tickets. In, for, for the next round, because that space that we we, we that space they, they, they're a character, and you know yeah. our, our 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 talents know when they're interacting with that audience, they don't know what's coming. The question mark being a perfect example. Yeah. You know, when so so when that was that wasn't we 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 didn't think we were going to have some weird cultural I hate to say like blue meanie like character that the audience accepts in a completely different way than the intention that you know a talent like Aaron Stevens who literally switched roles with the question mark. Basically, the question mark is now playing Miz Dow, and Aaron Stevens <laughs> yeah. is playing the Miz. And it, it shows that the talent as performers, I mean, that literally happened in real time. The question mark was on the second day of TV, and I talked about it in interviews in advance. That was not the plan. So those talents all had to adapt to what the audience said, and we do listen to the audience. And especially the live event audience, those who are paying and coming to see, you know, because th- they speak to what it is. And so the, later in that same day, you know, Eli Drake comes out and they start chanting about question mark. And he and he throws some line about an exclamation point. 
because he is smart enough to know and adaptable. This is as much live improv theater than any other wrestling brand. And so for us, that's been sort of the goal to build a, a show that plays to the strength. Everybody that's on our show is on our show for a reason. So, um, yeah, there, there's such a, a authentic feel of all those promos. Uh, even yep. if, I think people look at WWE, uh, at least some fans, as, as that's kind of the most scripted. And then AEW is an improvement uh, on that. But um, because you, you have to have some level of preparation, and, and so they go out there with the bullet points. I'm sure your guys do too. But yours feel the most improvised. And I think that's in part because there is a back and forth with the audience that you're not going to get in a 20,000 seat uh, arena. So it feels like the most throwback to uh, what people think of as kind of the glory days of, of promos. Um, and, and yeah, you in particular, I think has um, stood out. Let me ask you a bit about uh, uh, the roster. You know, there's a lot of X TNA guys, uh, X WB guys. This is typically the stuff that uh, uh, promotions get criticized for. You just start up promotions leaning on, uh, a lot of former uh, name talents, like Ken Anderson um, and uh, Eli Drake and, and uh, Nick Aldis. So, so a lot of guys with some past visibility. Um, are you guys mindful of that? Is it, are you are you careful to reach a balance? Do you just dismiss it and know that you've got a formula that works for you? I think I think you know I've I've been a wrestling fan for next year is. 35 years? God, I'm old. And, you know, so I, I grew up in an era that, it's funny, I don't know if I ended up tweeting it, so I, I don't know how old you are, but I remember watching, yeah, so I, I remember watching cable, like, I got cable in, like, 83, 84, and it was on a thing called a Gerald box, which was literally a plastic box that had, uh, I think it was 13 or 15 buttons, and then a selector to basically, like, an A, B, and C row that literally you would, that that's how you watch television. You got 35 or 40 channels on this box that you pushed, and that's how you selected it. That's how I grew up watching television in general, and then obviously finding wrestling eventually. I even remember, and I actually did a podcast with Sean Mooney, they used to have pay-per-view, but because of the the cable that I had, I couldn't get it because I had the old box. So, But if I wanted to listen to the pay-per-views, I had to push – these two buttons on the Gerald box and move the selector to the middle. And I could actually listen. I listened, I think WrestleMania two and a few other wrestling pay-per-views that way, because we didn't have pay-per-view accessibility. I don't think we got it till that Swagger series, the one that, um, that killed Starcade. Um, right. I think that was the first pay-per-view. So I remember listening to WrestleMania two, the wrestling classic and WrestleMania three through this Gerald box. But the, the point being that, that you have a perception of a fan of what it is and what it isn't. And so, you know, like when Jeff Jarrett left TNA, he made all these, you know, he, he tried to raise global force in a way. And I thought it was very adventurous in what he was trying to do. And I remember telling Jeff, I was like, I think you should lean in more digitally. And I had told Ring of Honor the same thing in 2011. When they launched the Sinclair show, I was like, why don't you put it on YouTube? And they're like, no, the stations won't have it. I was like, okay. I said, but you have a whole, and, and I was only bringing it up because Ring of Honor in 20. 11, you know, we had leaned in as a digital company doing iPay-per-views, and we were literally taking the programming away from them. And I saw an opportunity to run the show there, and YouTube hadn't really even fully matured. Hell, podcasts hadn't even matured in 2011. So, you know, a lot of people had taken, you know, every time we would bring a TNA name back to Ring of Honor, like Homicide would come back or Fournette or whatever, you know, oh, look who it is. But I think for us, 
you have to look at the market. AEW locked up a whole bunch of talent and they made it a strategic decision on what their brand was. And that was, that's their brand vision. Same with NXT. NXT and WWE has signed more TNA talents than anybody. Look at, look at, if you look at the ring, uh, the WWE roster, it is full of Ring of Honor and TNA talents from 2009 until 2016. It's, 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 I don't know what the percentage versus homegrown talent, but I know it's significant the other way. So for us, we looked at the market and saw, okay, which talents are there? Who fits this genre? You know, we didn't bring a kind of a talent from, we didn't big, uh, big Rob from, from TNA, uh, Rob Terry. You know, I love Rob. He has size, but he also doesn't have a promo. I don't even know if he's in the States, but um, everyone we selected from what I thought called different buckets fit the show. So yes, we have former WWE talent, but they're all either people that Billy and I have personal relationships with or fit our thing. I helped start Molina with m and Aaron Stevens was in WWE developmental for years and I knew him well. Um, Ken Anderson, I helped start, you know, and, 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 you know, we knew what these talents could do. So we simply offered them an opportunity to fit this new thing. And a lot, everybody walked in. And that's one of my favorite part of the documentary that we did leading into it. Nobody had any idea what we were walking into, even the fans. And it was a, it was a very coordinated effort to surprise everybody with the genre. So, so yeah, we have, we have our TNA guys that we work with. Again, fit the genre. There's a lot of TNA people that we didn't take that call a lot looking for jobs, but they don't fit because it's either an ego business. The good part about our locker room it's very much a team, you know, thing. And, and, you know, everyone was around the monitor, you know, everyone was trying to top each other because Nick Aldis went out on the first show and killed the first promo. And then Eli Drake, all right, I'm going to do this. Then James Storm, then this guy, then Eddie Kingston. You know, we have a level of guys that are very competitive to prove that they are the best at what they do. And there yeah. is a lot, back to your original thing, there's a lot of pro wrestling out there in the world. There's plenty of free matches. But what is missing is really good conflict. And, you know, Raw is a large time commitment. I don't think I'd commit three hours to anyone, let alone a television show that, that maybe leaves me wanting more. I look at the value of every minute of our show, and we try to make sure that it, it moves at the pace that you think and feel. Because guess what? We can, I, can, I can edit it. I can bring it closer. And obviously, you know, we're finding our footing with this. But this show, the people on this show fit everything. And then we have new stars like Thunder Rosa and Ricky Starks. Um, you know, we made bets on ver- the Dawsons, you know, a lot of talents for new exposure. So the show is this cavalcade of different faces that you know and don't know. And in, in a year from now, Thunder Rosa and Ricky Starks will most likely be the most top level of our show talents because mm-hmm. we're investing in them for that time. So it's been really an interesting uh cross-section but everybody on here understands the goal and the team aspect because because with with high tide all boats rise yeah yeah you, you mentioned in the news obviously a, a very important part of the roster jim Cornette, no longer with um the nwa that was a very public story from a couple of weeks ago uh in, in some ways people saw him as one of the most important uh, talents you have in, in that he was that link between the past uh and the present um not necessarily re- rehashing what happened here, but but how big a loss is that for the NWA? Is it, uh, I, I know you, you referenced him on the last show, and, and you put him over pretty well. Um, do, you, do you feel that – well, let me ask you, have, have you, have you uh, noticed any metrical difference in terms of viewers or anything, not having Cornette around anymore? Well, it's it's hard to judge because obviously, you know, it was a very public and, and unfortunate situation across the board. Um, you know, Jim, Jim brought a lot, and, and – 
you know, Jim, Jim had worked with us at NWA 70 in Crockett Cup, and he's a great resource. You're not going to find anyone who knows more history and has more pictures and more thing. And Jim has been polarizing since 1991, actually probably 1986. And, you know, we're very clear that, and Jim had told us he would never do anything to hurt the NWA. And so, you know, as this, very shortly, Jim, Jim was very important for the launch. We appreciated all he did. Obviously, it ended up uh, having a few issues that we, we dealt with. And ultimately, you know, when, when, the, when the situation happened, I called him and we had a discussion and he made a decision that he did not want to continue. As it was, he said, it wasn't fun anymore for him. And, you know, we had asked him to do, to put out something immediately. He made a decision to do it on his podcast. And, you know, that's everything that happened. We, did, we didn't, we didn't fire him. We had a discussion as, as two professionals. He made a decision and he moved on. Some people will then just pull the narrative of what you should have done. And th that's, that's a very hard discussion to have because, you know, there are multiple uh, thing going into it, you know, and we realized the mistake, we fixed it, we apologized, and we, we had a discussion with the talent who did it. But obviously, Jim did not, Jim put his put his podcast above the team. And that was his decision. And we respect Jim, you know, we don't respect his comments. And we made it very clear that, you know, we should have caught it, we put, we now have systems in place to, to for that it doesn't happen again. And, you know, we wish him the best. And, you know, it's, there are people that hate Jim, there are people that like Jim. And it's become this weird debate between both sides. And, you know, we, we did the best we could in the situation and people will be upset about it. You know, it was, this, it was, it was very unfortunate. In, in looking for um, who would replace Jim uh, in that role, because I had this discussion on the podcast uh, uh, last week and we, and, and me and my co-host were thinking who's available from kind of that era. Uh, and, you know, ironically, a lot of them are working for AEW, right? We think about Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross and, and um, so there's not a whole lot. You ended up at, at Stu Bennett, so clearly took a, a different direction. Were you at some point thinking, you know, who, who else from that era, the old NWA era, could we uh, pluck, or, or was the uh, decision right out of the uh, the gate, we're going to go in a different direction? Well, we, we you can't replace Jim. You just can't. And as far as the, the talent he brings is an on-air talent and the history that he knows. So, you know, there are plenty of, yeah, I mean, Jim Ross, sure. You know, uh, Tony Schiavone, sure, not available. You look at who's available and who works the best. And I've, over the last, uh, I'll just, I just want to focus on Stu. You know, we looked at every option. And boy, I don't think, I think five minutes after the, 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 the Cornette thing, everybody came out of the woodwork looking for his job. Mm -hmm. Like, it, like you'd be, like, I was like, boy, the, the, the situation's not even settled. And we got people literally hawking for his job before I'd even had a discussion with Jim. But again, that's the way of the world. There are people who are opportunists. But I, I had built a relationship with Stu over the last two years. I think I was there very much at the end, or at my end of WWE, at his beginning. But, you know, I had told Stu when we, I first talked to him, I said, the first time I had ever heard him was him doing commentary on FCW. And I didn't even know what he looked like. He just sounded cool. And so, you know, to build a relationship with him over the last two years of like, friendship, he came to one of Billy's shows in Los Angeles. And this was prior to the whole thing. And he made it very clear. I don't want to wrestle. I said, no problem. I said, whenever you want. Obviously, the door is open. But, I, you know, I respect him as a talent and as a professional. And he's not been shy about why he left pro wrestling. And so, you know, I'd always talk to him. Maybe you're a manager. Maybe you're this. You know, maybe you're just a pro guy. 
And so when, so when we started to look at it, you know, and he, and, and the thing about Stu that I don't think a lot, you know, besides doing world of sport, you know, he does broadcasting for, I think Beastmasters on Netflix, you know, he looks great on camera. He's young, you know, he's got a fresh take on things and he does have a relationship with Nick, you know, he's got a backstory. So now that's very interesting. And I think the goal is to develop him into this role and see how he does. And he, it was the very much the easiest negotiation I've had because he very much was committed to doing this well. And I think you'll see it at the pay-per-view and, you know, he will not replace Jim in the most traditional sense on power. You know, we're going to, we're going to try and really let our talent step forward. You know, he will be calling stuff on power, but you know, we really want to lean into everyone's strengths as we move forward to again, mess with the format and find a really good balance. So, you know, the search was not a long one. It was just, what was the right thing? And obviously, you know, we, when we just, when we, uh, when the thing happened with Jim, we looked at, all right, what's the best way to pivot? You know, Stu's deal got done this past weekend. You know, it, it was not a, you know, it was not a like, boy, we decided it that Tuesday. It took a lot of thought and a lot of discussion and I'm very happy with it. And I think he's going to do very well. Yeah. So his uh, first event will be the pay-per-view? Yes. Okay. And, and let's, let's give the, everybody the, the specifics, uh, date, time, how people check it out. Yeah, so it's uh, December 14th at 6.05. I'm not sure when this podcast go up. Uh, December 7th, the price will go from 19.99 to 24.95. You can order it at fight.tv where we have it embedded uh, on our um, we have it embedded on our nationalwrestlingalliance.com uh, website. And you know, it's 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 really easy to buy. If you've never used Fight, it's very simple. It's a very stable platform. You know, people. All the way back to 2011 when I was doing iPay-per-views, you know, they have really become the gold standard. But they are the best provide out there for combat sports as far as pay-per-view. You know, we, we've got a very – we have a very dedicated internet line, so you're going to get the best possible version of it. And they've been great partners across NWA 70 and Crockett stuff. So, yeah. you know, fight.tv, it's very easy. You can actually go watch Power. You can go sign up for an account now and watch Power on there you haven't watched it on YouTube and it's just that way you can get used to the system. We have, I think NWA 70 and the pop-up event are on there and, you know, and, and the price point is exactly like where pay-per-view needs to be, especially with WWE network being $9. It's hard to ask $50 for three hours when WWE offers you $9 for, um, for whatever. So. How long is the show going to be? Uh, three hours because there's okay. a UFC event that night. You know, we're not, we're not, it, it, we we will not stay on the stage too long. I'll say that yeah. much for that event. And and it's from your studio and yep. uh, just take a time imagine or long out. Oh yeah, we th- those sold out the first three hours we put them on sale. So yeah, yeah. you know, the, and we've had a very um, strong pre-sale as we talked about, and and that's exciting because you know this brand is 100% self-financed, like AW. You know, so I think people understand that if the alternatives, you know. Alternatives being financed by people that are passionate about the business. And Tony Khan is very passionate. To make the financial bet with his family's money that he did, that is a very passionate individual. And you have to respect somebody that literally puts where their money where their mouth is. Just like Vince McMahon did back in 1984, you know, Vince, Vince put a lot of – he put a, his whole life on the line and how he financed WWF. And, you know, WrestleMania was an experiment that if it failed, there, I, it, I could only imagine what would happen to pro wrestling. Um, so, so really for us, Billy's putting his money where his mouth is and those fans who've supported us. And again, you you can't, 
you can't sell the unsellable and you can't please everybody. And I think that's, as people argue over who's better, NXT or, or, or AEW, you realize that this is as much politics as it is pro wrestling fandom at this point. And all you can do is create for the audience that you want it to be. And we found an audience that is going to support us and we hope to grow literally one person at a time. Well, I'm a big fan. I'm definitely one of those uh, persons, and uh, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's so refreshing, so different. Uh, e- even if you don't necessarily think it's better, if you're enjoying AEW yeah. or NXT or whatever, just check it out because it's a completely different take, and uh, just a, a, a blast to watch. It flies by um, every week. Uh, even my kids, who I got little ones, I got a an eight year old and ten year old, who uh, always dread when I've got wrestling on. They kind of check out every day. They get a kick out of it. So yeah, um, yeah, it's absolutely. it's fun, you know. And I it think is. I think you know, even going back and watching sort of 2003 WWE, you know, I think the way that the business has been, it's it's changed. And you know, and for us, everyone's like, oh, it's so retro. It's like, oh, it's it's too old school. The, the our show is about conflict, strong personalities who disagree on issues. That's the world we live in now. That's what our show is intended to be. It's not, we're not a t-shirt company. You know, we, yes, we sell t-shirts. We're, we're, a, we're, we're a show that features, we're, we're what every, we're what everything is. There's Republicans and, uh, Republicans and Democrats. You know, there's, there's no sort of clear cut good guys and bad guys in the world. There's not because we live in a, and we live in a takedown world where that's what happens. So we want our show to be reflective of the world we live in. So, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with the response to the show. And again, we, sh- we, we conceived and shot these shows in a, in a vacuum over two days before anybody saw it. And, you know, it's, it's, it, is, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And we're very happy with those that have supported us. And those who aren't interested, there's plenty in the market to support you. And our yeah. goal is to find those that this would, would be interested in. And we, what's interesting is, the feedback we get from a lot of people are people who haven't watched wrestling in 20 years. You know, the argument over laps fan. And for us, we don't need 2.4 million viewers. We have a certain number we need to hit and grow to support the family we have. And then we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll be checking it out. Uh, again, the date is, uh, what's it, Saturday, December, uh, no, December 14th. 14th right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, yes, it is into the five, uh, fun theme song. Uh, for sure. So uh, we'll be checking it out. Thanks so much, Dave. I appreciate you taking the time. Cool. Thank you very much. 